Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. A reading from the first letter of John, chapter 4. My dear friends, we must love each other. Love comes from God, and when we love each other, it shows we have been given new life. We are now God's children, and we know him. God is love. And anyone who does not love others has never known him. God shows his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. Real love isn't our love for God, but his love for us. God sent his son to be the sacrifice by which our sins are forgiven. Dear friends, since God loved us this much, we must love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is truly in our hearts. God has given his spirit, and this is how we know we are with him, just as he is one with us. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. We saw his son and are now telling others about him. God stays one with everyone who, is openly say, who openly says, Jesus is the Son of God. This is how we stay one with God and are sure God loves us. God is love. If we keep loving one another, we will stay one in our hearts with God, and he will stay with us as one. If we truly love others and live as Christ did in the world, we, don't, we won't be worried about the day of judgment. Real love for others will chase those worries away. The thought of being punished is what makes us afraid. This shows we have not really learned to love. Because we love God, because we love because God loved us first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. worship series, Questions for God. On Ash Wednesday, we talked about living with doubt and with questions. We heard about Moses doubted, Mary Magdalene doubted, Isaiah doubted, and that there actually is a pattern that emerges out of Scripture that we doubt, God responds with grace, and then we are filled with renewed faithfulness. This week we are exploring who is God. We're looking at that question. I think the word God has really different meanings to different people. For some, I think their their understanding of God, the way they see God, is God is a harsh judge, 
powerful and controlling. And the image that they have is generally strong, physically strong, dominating, male, usually white. I wonder if some of that kind of imagery and way of seeing God is part of what drives some folks' opposition um, to any kind of gender fluidity, that, that when there's bills in the legislature against cross-dressing or medical care for trans people or gender-neutral bathrooms, all of which have been around for decades, that it comes out of this need for solid, clear gender identities because anything less starts to blur their image of God. And then they doubt. And with the doubt, they feel ashamed. But scripture shows us that doubt is part of the spiritual journey. We doubt, God responds with grace, and there is renewed faithfulness. At our Bible study, Lynette asked folks in the group what their image of God was, their primary image of God. And one person said God is a spiritual best friend. Another person said that God is the everythingness, everywhereness of the universe. Another person said they see God in the little things all day long. I shared an image that has stuck with me for years. It's a story about the last judgment, that, that moment when we are judged by God after this life. And it says that the last judgment, we will look upon the face of God, and the saved are the ones who know it is God they are looking at. It has changed the way I think about God, and I have started looking for God more intently in this life. It's kind of like, it kind of parallels our reading today with God is love. Would you read these holy words with me? God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. So we are free of worry on Judgment Day. As we think about who is God, Scripture gives us many images of God, but few definitions. Maybe the closest we get is when Moses asked God for God's name. And God responded with what we now call the acronym Yahweh. It's an acronym. In Hebrew, it's yud Hey vav Hey. Hebrew's written backwards for us, or English is written backwards for them. And it is an acronym. Ancient Hebrew only had consonants. There were no vowels. If you've ever seen Hebrew with little, like, Squiggles underneath, those are the vowels they've added in later. And it translates, as best it can translate, is I am who am, or I am that is. At youth group, we ask the kids 
to come up with a definition of the word God that we would all share. They're not defining who God is, but when we're in youth group and we say God, what do we mean? And this is the definition they came up with. They said a deity, a friend who is a lifeline, gives hope to yourself to give a better chance, and is a spiritual best friend. That's a pretty good definition of God. And as they were, they spent quite a while working out how they were going to define that word I'm using in youth group. A couple of the kids were drawing, and here are some of their drawings. I wonder sometimes if there is meaning, depth in the drawing, even beyond what the words can capture. When we talk about who God is, I think we have to be honest that we can't prove God's existence. And we can't prove that Jesus is God. We can't prove God's existence. Although Gary told me that there is proof of God's love. Coffee. (laughs) And he said there is proof that God wants us to be happy. Wine. I would say cream. (laughs) And there is proof that God wants us to be with God in the next life. Bacon. (laughs) What a perfect understanding of God. What were you going to say? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) So we can't prove the existence of God, but there's some solid evidence there that God loves us. The truth is we can't prove the existence of love, but there it is. And actually, physicists can't prove the existence of gravity, or at least how it works, but there it is. However, after Jesus died on the cross, something happened. It is a historical fact that a new community of people Began, began living differently. They lived differently. They experienced a release from repressive powers. They, they lacked fear of death. They cared for each other. They loved each other. They cared for those around them. It was a community characterized by love. And that community said that the something that happened It was the resurrection of Jesus. It was the resurrection of God's Son. And that community back then continues on to this day in the church. On Ash Wednesday, I shared that I was raised unchurched by parents who didn't believe in God, and I doubted that God didn't exist. And that doubt led me to faith. But you know, even after Jesus got a hold of me, there have been times when I, when I doubted God or I doubted God was with me. On our fourth pregnancy, back then they did ultrasounds at about four months. And at that ultrasound, they discovered there was two babies, not one. We were having twins. And a month later at the ultrasound... They discovered that our twins were developing twin-twin transfusion syndrome, which only happens with identical twins who share a placenta. 
and one twin gets too much blood and the other twin gets not enough. The one who doesn't get enough dies of anemia. The one who gets too much dies of kidney and heart failure. There's a 90% mortality rate. I was so afraid and then there was nothing they could do about it. In fact, even today, it's still experimental. At the same time, my grandma hadn't been feeling well. And she went to the doctor and they discovered that she had lung cancer and they did surgery. And when she came out of surgery, she was not doing well. She did not recover well out of surgery. She wasn't breathing on her own. And she was in so much pain and so weak and I had never seen her like that. When they finally removed the breathing tube, the first word she said to me, barely a whisper because her vocal cords were bruised, she said, I want to die. And I thought, what? My babies might be dying and now my grandma might be dying? It, it kind of just paralyzed me. It was too much. I was paralyzed emotionally and spiritually, and I could not pray. I just couldn't pray. I lacked confidence that God was there in my, in my terror. But I kept going to church. I remember when I went through preparation for baptism, one of the leaders said, talked about how in church community we pray for each other. And sometimes we pray for the other's, you know, benefit, what helps them. And sometimes we pray in each other's place. When life is so hard, we can't pray ourselves, and we pray in each other's place. And I went to church, I couldn't pray, but I hoped others were praying in my place. My twins survived. They turned 22 last week. And my grandma died. Now, she was 80 years old. She had had a good life. She was ready for the next adventure. And when it was all over, I was so grateful, honestly, as weird as this sounds, that she had done poorly. Because, because she had done poorly, I went and saw her every single day. It, for three weeks, the three weeks before she died, I went and saw her every single day. And I am so grateful for that time. Sometimes life circumstances push us to doubting God. But, but other times spiritual circumstances put us in a place where doubt happens. James Fowler was a, a researcher who did research on faith development. He was a professor at Emory University and a Methodist pastor. And he developed a model of faith development, um, similar to Piaget's theory of cognitive development and Kohlberg's stages of moral development. And he identified six stages of faith that human beings go through. And that each stage, we, we kind of 
uh, find stability in the way that we see God, the way that we relate to God. And then we kind of hit the limits of our own understanding. And that way of seeing God kind of collapses and is rebuilt in a new stage. When we're in those periods of transition where our old way of seeing God has collapsed and our new way is forming, it feels like, it feels like we don't believe in God because we don't believe in God the way we always have. A transition that most of us have probably gone through is the transition from childhood faith to adolescent faith. Children, about 7 to 12 years old, generally the way they understand God is very anthropomorphic. They, they imagine God in human form. Often if you ask kids what God looks like, they have an answer. Generally around here, that what God looks like sounds an awful lot like Santa Claus. But they have an image. They have a clear human image of God. And all the metaphors for God for them are quite literal. And then, about 12 or 13, a major cognitive development happens. So there's this big kind of reshuffling of the brain as kids enter adolescence. And that, that reshuffling of the brain pushes them to the next stage in faith, where God is now not a human form, but God is like the, the ultimate best friend who knows us deeply, who knows everything about us, who wants what's best for us, who loves us, who's got our back. And in that transition, 12, 13 years old, kids will talk about, I, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. I'm not sure I do. Because they no longer believe that God can only be thought of in a, as a human form. They no longer take metaphors literally. Their old way of understanding God and seeing God has collapsed, and they are building this new way. And that is a normal, healthy part of faith development. Can you see in our young people's definition of God some of those that adolescent image of God, that spiritual best friend, the one who sees us and cares for us and has our back. Those faith stage transitions, they happen throughout life where we are stay in a stage for a period of time until we reach the limits. A friend of mine would say, until we've explored all the gifts that stage has to give. And then our understanding of God collapses and is built anew. And with each transition, it gives way to a new, deeper way of seeing God. And it is a normal part of faith development, going through these periods of unbelief, just like we have seen that doubt is an essential part of the spiritual journey in Scripture. People doubted, God poured out God's grace, and there was renewed faithfulness. That renewed faithfulness for early Christians led them to say, God is love. The author of our reading, John, said, God is love. 
And perhaps that is the closest answer we will get to the question, who is God? God is love. But once we name God that way, it lays a responsibility on us. That by loving others, we are the evidence of God. We are the evidence of the risen Christ. We are the proof that God exists, that Christ rose from the dead, and that it changed the world. By loving people. Not the hate the sin and love the sinner. No hate, only love. That it is by loving people that we are the proof of God. Because God loves you. God has poured God's grace on you. And that love of God, it starts a fire in us. A fire in us to love others. Even to love others who are difficult to love. Sometimes with affection but always with acceptance and with compassion. God is love. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crossway. CUNY United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.